are listening to Pregnancy Uncut, a new podcast dedicated to telling the untold and unspoken stories of pregnancy complications. We are your hosts, Drs. Alex Umbers and Cara Thompson. Pregnancy Uncut acknowledges the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional owners of the land with which we record this. A special welcome to all our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, especially the mothers, daughters, sisters and aunties. Content warning, heads up guys, this podcast contains materials on pregnancy loss and complications and it may be confronting. Good morning, Cara. Good morning, Alex. Today we have a really special story to share with everyone. Cara, can you tell us how you found this guest? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually found this guest at my local bakery. Uh, Bread is a very important part of my life, Alex. So (laughs) I'm a very frequent guest at my local bakery. And on this particular day, there was a a little poster in the window with a, a little picture and the words, all for Billy. And a website. So I went to that website and and essentially it was a, a fundraiser for a little baby who very sadly passed away. And it was created by Billy's mum, Candice, and she she wrote about her experience in an, a really beautiful way about what was an incredibly difficult, awful tragedy. And I contacted Candice and and asked her if she wanted to come and share her story with us today. And she very generously said she would. And Cara, you've given me the task of interviewing Candice. I have, Alex. And I know, Alex, you've got a new little baby of your own. How are you feeling about having these hard conversations with Candice today? I'm really intimidated and nervous. I mm. think, yeah, as a new mum, Candice's story is really unimaginable. It's yeah. it's really one of the worst things that can happen to have your baby die. Um, but in thinking about this, you know, I, I want to make the process as um, comfortable as possible for Candice. I think she wants to talk to us. Yep. And it reminds me why we're doing this in the first place because these are stories that need to be heard and shared and I think I think we're going to learn a lot from Candice. Beautiful. Welcome, Candice. Thank you. Candice has quite an incredible story to share with us. Uh, she has been through the unimaginable process of losing her baby, Billy. And diving right in here, Candice, most people would really struggle to imagine, let alone talk about their baby dying. What What is it that's motivating you to share Billy's story with us? There's lots of reasons why I'm sharing Billy's story. Initially, it was more from the minute she died, I was really worried that people would forget about her because she didn't get to meet many people and, you know, she was only alive for 11 days. And yeah, my, my big fear was that she'd be forgotten. So I like talking about her. The other thing is that um, she died from enterovirus myocarditis, um, which I know we'll talk about. And, she, and we've found, because we'd never heard of that before she died. And so it's something that I really want to bring awareness to and make sure people know about this virus what it can do um, and, and what needs to be done about it. And it also, talking about her helps me as well. I, I like talking about her um, and, yeah, it sometimes helps me 
clear my head a little bit rather than all the things that are going around and that I'm thinking about and worrying about. I, yeah, getting it out of my head and talking about it can really help. Mm, that's interesting. And part of what we hope to touch on through our episodes of Pregnancy Uncut is really developing a language and a conversation around some of these things that are so hard to talk about such that nothing's really off the table, as we say. Yes, yep. Um, and it was really special. Candice just shared with me that um, she noticed all the billy buttons in my garden. We're yes. just recording in my lounge room here. And um, yeah, that's a lovely little connection. Yeah, too, and they're it? a really special flower for us, just having her name. So it sort of feels like she's right here with me. And yeah, I think that's that's really lovely. Oh, beautiful. Candice, tell me about what was going on for you when you found out you were pregnant with Billy? So we wanted a pretty small gap between our kids. We already had Aubrey and she was just over one when we decided it was time for another. Um, So we fell pregnant with Billy and um, we were incredibly lucky. It happened quite quickly for us. Um, And yeah, we were just really excited that Aubrey was going to have a sibling and we were going to have two kids and it was it was great. We were really excited and happy. Mm. And how did the pregnancy go? It was really uneventful. It was, I think, having already had one full-term pregnancy and a very uneventful pregnancy, the only, the only thing with Aubrey's pregnancy was that towards the end she was breached, so she needed to be delivered by a caesarean, which at the time I didn't like, but... In hindsight, after everything that's gone on, I sort of feel a bit silly for being so concerned about Caesars now, but I know that's something that's pretty common as well. Mm, mm. Um, So, yeah, Billy's, I just sort of went along. I I get quite bad morning sickness when I'm pregnant, so that wasn't fun dealing with, um, you know, a very small toddler running around and I was working at the time as well and, yeah. Yeah, You had the trifecta going on. (laughs) Yeah, so it was – but apart from that, you know, there were no medical issues. There were never any problems. All of our scans were fine and everything was just going along. And I think, as I said, having already had a healthy pregnancy, I just – I don't think I was as worried as, you know, first time around you're sort of waiting to get through that first trimester and, you know, you're so aware of all the things that could go wrong, especially early and – Whereas this time I just sort of thought, you know, we're fine. We yeah. we were fine last time, so there's no yep. no, no reason, reason to think that this mm. will be any different. Mm. And then later on in the pregnancy, Aubrey actually got sick, didn't she? Yeah, then, she did. And so, then you got sick. Tell me about that. So um, it was probably when I was about 38 weeks pregnant, I think. Um, Aubrey, it was the weekend, and on the Friday afternoon she just vomited a couple of times. Um, and we didn't, she had a bit of a temperature over that weekend, called nurse on call. They said, you know, just keep giving Panadol and Nurofen and she was fine. Sounds like very normal toddler stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, I didn't really, you know, think it was much of an issue. We obviously worried about Aubrey, but, um, yeah, she, she came good within a day or two. And then the following week, so leading up to me being 39 weeks pregnant, um, I wasn't feeling great, but. You know, I was 39 weeks pregnant with an almost two-year-old and... Very understandable. Yeah, and, you know, it was November, so it was very hot as well. So I just kind of put it down to, you know, I'm huge, I'm running around after a nearly two-year-old, I'm 
obviously not feeling great. So didn't really think too much of it. Mm-hmm. It was only, um, so on a Friday after, a Friday during the day, I just started to get really headachey and just feeling really, really flat. And then on the Saturday, I woke up and it had pretty much turned into a migraine and I was just spending the day in bed and Davey, my husband, sort of said a couple of times, do you think we should call the hospital? And I put it off at the start and then as the day went on, he said, you know, I really think that we should call the hospital. So he called and they said, yeah, look, it's probably best that you come in. So we went up and they um, checked me over and said that I was dehydrated. So just put me on a drip and rehydrated me. They were monitoring Billy. We we didn't know that she was a girl at the time. <laughs> we always have surprises with our pregnancies. And, um, yeah, so they were monitoring her as well. And after a few hours on the drip, they were happy for me to go home. So, yeah, we went home. And then the following day was late morning towards lunchtime. Um, the obstetrician called and said that she'd been looking over the monitoring of the baby And she wasn't really happy with what was happening with her heart rate and wanted me to come back in for some further monitoring. Mm -hmm. So um, I went back in and, you know, they hooked me back up and that was sort of... And when you say hooked back up, was that to the the CTG monitor to look at Billy's heart rate? Yeah, yeah. So they had that on. Um, And yeah, sort of had been there not very long um, and looking at what her heart was doing, they weren't happy. They decided that um, they needed to do an emergency Caesar, which, again, I was so devastated. I'd been really working towards a VBAC. Um, After Aubrey's caesarean, I was really determined that this wasn't going to be a caesarean, so I was a bit of a mess um, that I had to have the emergency Caesar. Well, it's it's understandable, right, because you're in the headspace of thinking, oh, this will be a normal vaginal delivery and the pregnancy's gone well Mm -hmm. apart from the migraine at the end and then you sort of, it all came out of left field. Yes. Um, And, but, you know, as soon as, as soon as she was actually delivered and we saw her, I didn't care anymore. I remember the obstetrician saying to me like, you know, I'm sorry that it didn't go to your plan. And I was like, it it doesn't matter. She's here. She's healthy. She needed to come out. It's fine. It doesn't matter now. She's here. So yeah, that's... That's um, the story of how Billy arrived. Yes. Candice, can I ask, what do you remember about Billy when she was born? She was, she was quite a chubby baby. She had a lot of hair, a lot of dark hair, just like her big sister. And like you. Um, <laughs> yes. I can see your lovely dark hair yep. sitting across from you. Yep. So, um, yeah, she was a lot bigger than, when I say a lot, you know, she was bigger than Aubrey was um, when she was born. And yeah, she just, um, she was beautiful. And I mean, the time that I had with her, like looking back, she wasn't a very happy baby, which I now can understand why. Mm. Um, so yeah, that was sort of, that was quite difficult at the start. Let's take a moment to touch on, um, those 11 days that you had with her. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine you spent a few days in hospital recovering from the Caesar. Yes. And so then she you was, went home? Yeah, she was born on the Sunday afternoon um, and we went home on the Wednesday. Um, the Thursday, the following day was Aubrey's second birthday. So I really wanted to be home 
for oh that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Super mum doing a toddler's birthday as well as giving birth oh, not, to not a, a party, Not a party, but we just, yeah, we thought, you know, we, w- we want everyone to be at home. We want to yeah. all wake up together on Aubrey's birthday. And, as a family. Yeah, be able to do the presents and everything, not sort of have her having mum and her sister in hospital and having to go in there for yep. her birthday. Just, yep. Yep. yeah, we, we just wanted to be home. So, mm. so what was it like bringing her home? Initially, I was really relieved. I'm like, oh, okay, we're home. We can get on with this now. Um, you know, just be a family of four. Um, get get Aubrey used to having a little sister and not necessarily being the centre of attention anymore. Um, yeah, so I was really, I was happy to just be home. Um, it was harder than I'd sort of, you know, I knew having kid, two kids was going to be harder than one, but. I didn't um, expect Aubrey to sort of struggle with the new addition the way she did. She was really, really clingy with Davey. She didn't want me pretty much anywhere near her. And Davey is husband? Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he was sort of yeah with Aubrey all the time and she wanted him to do everything. Mm, so Daddy's girl. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> she still is. Yep. <laughs> So you're at home, you've come home with the Caesar with your baby Billy and Aubrey's clinging on to dad. <laughs> what were the next few days like with Billy? They were pretty rough. Um, she, I had been really adamant about breastfeeding because, again, with Aubrey I had a lot of trouble breastfeeding and I found that really hard to deal with. I sort of, I knew people had trouble with it, but I guess you just never really think that you're going to have any trouble. You think it'll just work. Um, so yeah, I was really wanting the breastfeeding to work and initially it was going good in the sense that she would attach, whereas I didn't have that with Aubrey, but she was just constantly really, really unsettled. She was wanting to be on me all the time. She was feeding all the time. Candice, when did you start to have a sense that things were not going well? It's kind of a hard one because in hindsight, I can look back now and see so many little signs, but at the time I was, I was really trying to be optimistic and just thinking, you know, this is, this is what it is when you're, you know, starting breastfeeding and getting it all, all happening. So and I guess I was probably a bit in denial that there was a problem. And as you said, I was so exhausted. I had, you know, a two-year-old at home as well. Um, so, yeah, it was when um, the nurse came to check on us, she decided very quickly that things weren't going well um, and that we needed to go back to the hospital, which I really found really tough because Mm. it was sort of, you know, um, she's not being fed enough. And so I was really like, oh my goodness, I've, I've been starving my baby. You know, this is terrible. I've put her back in hospital. Um, so yeah, that was, that was hard. And then, um, going. Especially when you, you didn't know exactly what was going on with her. You, mum's all often, and we'll probably talk about mama guilt later on, but yeah. you often look to you to blame yourself first of all, but the reality is you had a baby who was getting quite sick, didn't you? Yeah. 
And once you were in special care, I understand they did a, a whole sort of workup to look for what might be causing her jaundice eventually. Yeah. And she was found to have meningitis, is that right? So um, she was readmitted to special care, well, not readmitted, but admitted to special care. She hadn't been in special care previously. Um, so that was the Friday afternoon and on the Saturday night, it was the middle of the night, um, I'd come back home. I stayed the first night with her and then was home on the Saturday night and they called us in the middle of the night to say that she developed a temperature. So they decided that they needed to do some more tests and try and work out mm. what was going on. So it was the Sunday morning that the results came back that, yeah, she had meningitis. So they were starting some antibiotics for that until they could determine exactly what had sort of caused that meningitis and brought yeah. that on. Yeah, Okay. And what was going on for you at the at this stage? At that point when they said meningitis, it did freak me out because I knew, you know, that's pretty serious. You know, that's brain, that's spinal cord, you know. It was, um, yeah, it, it was really concerning. I was like, oh, no, what what's going on here? And I think as well because when they'd mentioned the test that they were doing and I sort of said, you know, well, what what usually causes this? And they said, you know, usually it's nothing It we, we don't usually even find much. We mm. just are doing the tests, basically precautionary tests. So to have something like meningitis come back was, yeah, a bit of a shock. Quite alarming. I yeah, imagine. it was, yep. yeah. All, while, all the while you're trying to recover from your own C-section and be with your baby in special care and be with your family at home. Yeah, and, mm. you know, not being able to drive after the Caesar and, yeah, and not wanting to have Aubrey at the hospital all day, every day. You know, that's not where you want a two-year-old. That's not where she wants to be. Mm, and so, so yeah, it was, it, was, it was hard. I understand eventually um, one of the tests from the spinal fluid of Billy came back with a positive test for enterovirus. Um, what happened then? Yeah, so I'm, I'm not sure which test exactly returned the enterovirus diagnosis, but... Um, yeah, it came back that it was enterovirus, which I'd never heard of. Um, when they came to speak to us, it was it was a relief because all of the possibilities that had been mentioned to us, um, you know, in the case of bacterial infection, um, it was really worrying. And, you know, there was talk of we'd need to have brain scans and monitor development and things like that. So um, to know that it was this virus which we were told, you know, we know lots about, um, this is a good result. Sometimes um, the virus can go to their heart but Billy seems fine. So it was it was a relief. It was sort mm-hmm. of like, okay, now now we're, we're getting somewhere, we know what it is um, and now she's, she's going to start improving and we can get her home and get on with our lives basically. Yeah, so, th- so things were looking up. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was feeling relieved, so Mm, relieved. mm. So Billy had been in hospital for a few days Mm -hmm. and she had been feeding really well. Yep. And you guys came in to pick her up with Aubrey. Yep. And what was your instinct at that time when you came to pick Billy up? There were a few things that were happening that didn't feel right for us, just things that she hadn't been doing in the past that made us not feel very comfortable that um, she was where she should be in terms of being able to go home. 
Um, so we sort of, yeah, we said that we didn't feel comfortable taking her home at that point. Um, yeah, just because of the, th- the change that we had seen in yeah. her just from, just from the previous day, just mm-hmm. from that afternoon to the next morning, she just, yeah, didn't, didn't seem to be doing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Strong mama's instinct. Yeah. I, it's funny though. Like I've, I've talked to a few people about, you know, people talk about mother's instinct and I do feel like that failed me a bit that, you know, that potentially I should have seen things sooner than I did. So that's, yeah, that's something that mother's instinct is a bit of a sore spot mm. for me. Um, Cause I know, you know, in my subsequent pregnancy that people, whenever I talked about, you know, what if this goes wrong or what if this happens and people will be like, oh, you know, mother's instinct, you'll know if something's wrong. And I was like, mm. but it, it failed me last time. Mm. What's to say, you know, it just, yeah, made me have doubts in my mother's instinct. But, um, yeah, that morning we definitely didn't feel comfortable. Yeah. We, yeah. we knew that we, we weren't ready to take her home at that point. And instinct, I guess, is something that can be learned through experiences or, yeah. or it can be a gut feeling and it's not a fixed concept, is it? So no. in some ways you your instinct on that day was was strong. On that day, yes. Yeah, 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 I think on that day it was. Yeah. So what happened later that day? Yeah, so we took Aubrey home, um, had a phone call that things still weren't looking, she wasn't looking as good as she had been looking. So I went back into the hospital um, and when I got there, I straight away got the sense that things really weren't good. Um, one of the nurses that was with her had spent quite a lot of time with her while she was in special care and I could just tell she seemed concerned and so that made me pretty worried. Um, They were saying that they'd done some tests, they felt that her body was struggling a little bit so they'd decided to put in a feeding tube just to take a little bit of pressure off her body Um, at that point because I think I'd kind of been holding it together especially once the diagnosis had come through and you know, we, we thought that things were okay. Um, but yeah, pretty much at that point, I just fell apart again. I just, I was like, you know, I thought this was over. Mm. Um, yeah. And sort of really didn't know what was going on. Didn't, yeah, it was just really, yeah, really shocking. And I just didn't, didn't know what to do. Didn't know what was happening. Um, yeah. And just uh, they got the feeding tube in, which I mean, I chose to stay for it because um, I wanted to be there with her, but it was horrible to watch. Mm. Um, and yeah, just after that, um, I was still there and they were sort of connecting her back up to monitors and things like that. And then I just saw the nurse like hit the emergency button and suddenly, you know, there's all this commotion and there's people rushing in and I'm sitting there going, what's what's going on? And um, she was sort of trying to reassure me, say, you know, I'm just not getting some of the things that I'm needing to get and um, I just need some more hands in here. And, yeah, from that point on it was just complete chaos. It, yeah. Yeah, was just people in, out, yeah. And she, because at that point um, they picked her up and carried her away and I saw her as she walked past me and she was just grey and just looked horrible. It was really, yeah, I just thought I was going to be sick. Oh, Candice. Yeah. Did you have anyone sitting with you sort of explaining as best they could 
what was happening or? Um, no, not really. Um, I had a phone call from the paediatrician sort of just after everything had happened, um, just to explain that it looked like the virus had gone to Billy's heart um, and that if that was the case that she would need to be moved to Melbourne because they didn't mm. have um, what they what would be needed down here. So. Yeah. Because um, we are in regional Victoria, yeah. so for really serious emergencies uh, where the hospitals are not equipped to deal with the the level of emergency, then babies often get transferred out. And so yeah. they were looking at transferring Billy. Yes, yep, that's that's what um, we thought would probably need to happen. Mm. Um, yeah. So and as I said, it was just chaotic. I didn't really know what was going on. Yeah. Mm. So we're at the point in Billy's story where she's gravely unwell and the virus has affected the way her heart's working. Mm-hmm. The doctors and team in the nursery were looking at transferring Billy out. Yep. What happened next? Um, so we had the a team came down from Melbourne to transport her. Um, in the meantime, they were sort of trying, I, you know, I'd, don't know what treatments they were trying at that point because I was just they told me I could go and be with her but I just I I couldn't I I couldn't move from where I was Mm. um and I just didn't want to see her like that um yeah so they were trying different things um and I can't remember at what point whether it was before the team from Melbourne arrived or not um but I just remember the paediatrician saying to us, you know, um, I think we need to, um, you know, you start needing to accept that there's a very good chance that Billy's going to die. Yeah. And it was just, yeah, I, I don't think I ever actually believed it, even though I could see how bad things were. It was obviously really, really serious and, you know, um, thinking clearly about it, you know that if a paediatrician says that to you that, you know, they are very serious and that is probably going to happen, but I just, I couldn't, couldn't believe it. Um, and I think that's probably most parents, they never, no. you know, you've got to hold on to that hope that Absolutely. that they will get through it. Yeah. yeah. And they're words you never expect to hear as a parent, no. let alone believe. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It just all went downhill so, so quickly. Yeah. What were the final moments with Billy like? So um, they decided, well, we were given the option. They said that we could still transfer to Melbourne, um, but they said that it's probably unlikely that she would actually survive the trip. Um, So we sort of, yeah, we decided that was enough. She, we didn't want to lose her on the road. Um, She'd been through so much already. So, um, yeah, we spent, it was actually, it was so much longer than I expected. I think in my mind, I thought if someone was going to die, it would happen quite quickly. And it didn't. It was hours and Mm. hours. Um, We were lucky that, you know, we got to um, spend the time just with Billy. They set us up in a room. Um, And you were with your partner? Yeah, yeah. we, they, you know, they told us that we could um, have family come in if we wanted to. Um, and again, that's something I feel really guilty about because our family didn't get that chance to say goodbye. But we, I was just in such shock that I just, I couldn't handle 
seeing anyone. And I, I didn't want Aubrey to see Billy like that either. Mm. Um, you know, we were lucky that Aubrey got to see Billy alive and well. So, you know, I don't think that um, she needed to see Billy like that. And, you know, it was the middle of the night too. Um, yeah, we just, we wanted to spend that time with her. So, Candice, now you've found yourself as part of a club you never expected to be part of. No, not at with all. With a baby who's died. Mm-hmm. What were the first few days like coming home without Billy? They were hard and they were really long, really long days because it was sort of, you know, how are we going to keep going? How are we going to get through every day having just been through this? Um you know, I'd, even driving home from the hospital, I, I've said to you before, I, I don't know how Davy drove home. He, you know, there was so much on him um, because I just shut down pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in my head I sort of had these images of, you know, in movies and things when someone dies, the house is just full of people and that was my worst nightmare. I was like, oh, my God, everyone's going to be over here and I don't want to see anyone. I can't mm. see anybody. Um, did did people reach out to you early or or even how, how did people find out that Billy had died? To be honest, in terms of our family, and that was on Davey, he had had to be the one um, that night um, sort of messaging everyone and saying, I, I honestly don't even know what he wrote, but letting them know that Billy wasn't going to make it through the night. So I think um, in terms of our family, that sort of went out. They were sort of spreading the word amongst mm. the family. Mm. In terms of friends, um, I sent out, initially I sent out a message, all the people that I'd messaged to say, you know, we've had the baby, it's a girl, her name's Billy. I sent out a text to everyone because I was like, I don't want to get messages saying, oh, how's everything going with Billy? Um, some people knew that she had been sick and that she'd been in special care. So yeah, I just sent out a message saying, um, that she had passed away. Um, I requested in that message for people to sort of give us space, Mm. um, and that we would reach out when we were ready. Um. Did people respect that? Yes. Yeah. We didn't sort of have anyone. People people were leaving things on our doorstep and stuff, which was great. You know, like people were leaving food, people were leaving um, gifts for Aubrey, which was great just to, because, you know, those getting through those days were so hard and just to have something like, oh, Aubrey, look at this, like you've got a new book or, you know, some new craft things and having something new that we could do with her that made her happy um, was really great. So, yeah, you know, people doing things like that was really great. Mm. Um, because nothing is going to take the heartache no. or, the, or the pain or the loss away, is it? But no. it's about how can you support a family to deal with this as yes. best they can. And, you know, everyone deals with it differently. I know that lots of people when um, someone's died, they want to be surrounded by people. Um, I just – what we weren't like that. We basically just, you know – folded into ourselves. I only wanted to be with Davy and Aubrey because they were the only people that I felt could really understand the loss. You know, Davy had been there with me as she died. He'd watched his daughter die as well. Um, and Aubrey had lost her sister. And I think it was really important to me, you know, I felt like Billy had lost her childhood. I didn't want Aubrey 
to lose hers and sort of be, you know, stuck in this grief every single day, um, especially, you know, as a two-year-old. She, we told her that Billy got sick and that Billy died, but, I, you know, even as an adult, I couldn't understand what had mm. happened. So to expect a two-year-old mm. to understand how she, you know, one minute had this little baby and then the next minute the baby's gone. When did you start to emerge from that tight little family cocoon? Um, I think probably for me sooner than I should have. Um, I had it in my mind that, well, we need to get back to normal. Um, you know, we can't we can't live like this forever. Um, we've got to get back to normal. So probably, I think it was probably about two or three weeks after Billy died, um, Davey decided to go back to work, which um, he needed to do. That was something he needed to do. And he also pointed out that it would help Aubrey sort of get back into somewhat of a routine. And even um, because after Billy died, the Aubrey um, clinging to Davey continued, it, it probably actually got worse because I think over such a traumatic and confusing time for her, he was her constant. Like he was always there with her. Um, He was much better, you know, like in the mornings I'd sort of, I'm not a morning person anyway, but I just wouldn't want to get up. And so he'd sort of be up and, you know, doing things with her and everything. Um, He really was making sure that things were as normal as possible Mm. for her as they could be. So he was sort of doing that rock roll for the family. Definitely. Or yep. you mentally transitioned into how are we going to develop yep. a, a new normal? Yes. Yeah. Because going through something like this, you're never going to be normal again, no. are you? Sort of no, it really forever yeah, it changes you. Yeah. 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 What did the new normal look like for you? Um, I think it still changes. Um, you know, it's been three years now, just over three years, and it's always changing. Um, you know, in those early days, it was still so raw. Um, I was catching up with friends. Um, you know, I'd try and see people who had kids, you know, that Aubrey was used to playing with, um, so that she could play. And I, I was telling everyone I'd tell people Billy's story when I caught up with them. Um, they'd tell me, you know, you don't have to talk about it, but I I felt like I did. I felt like I had to Mm. talk about it and I don't even know why. It's not that anyone made me feel like I had to, but I think I needed to start talking about it to get it out of my head and to try and start not making sense of it because it still doesn't make sense to me. It's never going to make sense to me. Um, But, yeah, and again, I guess it was probably a lot about um, wanting people to know her and not not forget about it, to know mm. her story and what happened and, and what we went through and what it was like. Um, yeah. Did you reach out for professional help in, in your grieving process at any point? Um, probably a month or two after Billy died, I um, met with a counsellor and had a few sessions with her. I reached a point, um, and she was great too, she was great to talk to, I reached a point and I even found it with friends um, because I was wanting to tell Billy's story. But after a while, I sort of reached this point of, okay, 
I need a break now. I need to take a step back and, um, yeah, just have a break. So I sort of stopped seeing new people at that point. So, Mm. you know, friends that wanted to catch up that I hadn't seen yet, I was saying no to and, um, yeah, took a break from the counsellor as well because I just, yeah, I just felt like I needed a bit of a break from it all. And grief grief can be absolutely exhausting. So being in it all the time is, um, yeah, could be very overwhelming, I imagine. When people have these tragedies occur, often they're faced with the prospect of whether or not to try to have another child or if that's something they want or if it's something that's too confronting. Where did you and Davey sit on that spectrum? I remember, um, so Billy died sort of very early hours of a Thursday morning um, and that Thursday night we were at home and I remember just looking at him and saying, we have to do this again. We uh, we need to give Aubrey another sibling and he agreed straight away. We mm. we knew straight away that we wanted to have more, more kids. We wanted um, Aubrey and Billy to have siblings. So, yeah, that was – it was easy that both of us were on the same page about that. We both wanted – wanted more kids. And uh, tell me about the next pregnancy that followed. So I fell pregnant five months after Billy died. Um, That was as long as we were willing to wait. And again, we were really, really lucky. It happened quickly for us. Um, We went for a scan. I wanted a scan really early on um, just because I was at that point after everything that had happened with Billy, I was so scared of something going wrong. And, you know, being so soon after a full-term pregnancy and a Caesar, um, I was like, you know, you just don't know whether this is going to work out, whether my body is going to be able to um, handle another pregnancy Mm. so soon. So we had a scan at about six weeks and went into it really nervous. I'd um, had a little bit of spotting and things, which I hadn't really had in the past, which I now understand why. Because at that scan, um, they started doing the scan and he said, oh, yep, over here. So there's one over here. And when he said one over here, Davey and I just kind of looked at each other and he said, oh, and it it looks like there's another over here. And yeah, we just, I don't know, we we weren't even shocked about it. We were just like, yep, sure. Because we'd actually talked about, you know, what if it was twins? And we sort of both said, you know, after everything we'd been through, twins would be fine. Like we'd manage it, it'd be fine. And yeah, so at that first scan, it was confirmed that we're actually having twins. Wow. I was really lucky in that um, our twins were the safest kind of twins. They had their own placentas, their own sacs. Um, so that was a relief. Um As the pregnancy went on, there was a lot of other things going on, you know, like we were moving house at the same time. Um, We had some issues with our health insurance. There was just a lot of stuff that kind of just all snowballed together. And I just got to a point where I was like, okay, I really need a psychologist. Um, I need to see someone to help me through this um, because I want to enjoy it as much as I can. But I also knew that being stressed and everything wouldn't be good for the babies. Um, so yeah, I started seeing a psychologist during, during the pregnancy and, mm. um, yeah, it was the best thing I ever did. Um, oh, that's great to hear. Yeah, definitely needed it. Often you hear people talk about the concept of rainbow pregnancies. Yeah. Do you want to explain to me what you, how you would define a rainbow pregnancy? So I define it as, um, 
a pregnancy or a baby that's born after the storm of losing a child because it is, you know, it's it's um it's dark, it's it's just a horrible time and then sort of this is a bit of happiness to come after that, you know, we we knew that it wasn't going to take away um, any of the pain of losing Billy, but it was going to be, bring a little bit of happiness to our family, to Aubrey. Um, yeah, so that's to me what a rainbow pregnancy is, mm. um, which I know um, recently I've been reading, you know, some people, don't, that term doesn't sit well with them. And as much as I use the term rainbow pregnancy and, you know, I love rainbows now if I see clothes or homewares or anything that's rainbows, I'm sort of drawn straight to it and I'm like, oh, I want to get that. Um, But other people feel that calling it a rainbow pregnancy, it kind of makes out that it's all just happiness and bright and wonderful, whereas, um, yeah, a rainbow pregnancy is really hard. It's, Mm. you know, like obviously it is, you know, you are really happy but there's so much more to it. There's so many more emotions going on and it's it's a really hard and stressful time. And coloured by your past experiences and losses too. Yeah, and I think as well when you enter this world of child loss, you sort of, you really learn exactly how much can go wrong, you know. There's all the things that can go wrong prior to even falling pregnant. There's things in the early stages of pregnancy, things in the later stages of pregnancy. And then for us, you know, Billy was 11 days old when she died. It was, for us, there was no safe time anymore. Mm. Um, And that's like, you know, we started telling people pretty much as soon as we knew because it was like, well, you know, it, it doesn't matter whether it's 12 weeks or she's 12 days old, like, you know, things can still happen. And thankfully the twins are doing beautifully from what I understand. Yes, they were two. They were two at the start of the year. Terrible twos. Yes, yep. Wreaking havoc at home, I bet. Oh, they certainly are, yep. They egg each other on. Candice, tell me how you remember Billy. How do you honour her life? Again, that's changed over the years. Initially I really struggled um, – you know, when her first birthday rolled around, it was, you know, I see all these other bereaved parents doing amazing things to remember their children. And I just wasn't at a point where I could really do anything like that. And plus I was pregnant with the twins and on bed rest. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was really hard, but each year that goes on, I sort of find it's, it's not easier, but I'm more okay to do more things. Like last year we um, had a cake for her, which we hadn't done mm. in the past. And, um, yeah, it's it's something that changes all the time and I think it will continue to change. Um, there's some things that I'm not okay with, you know. I, um, I feel so guilty about this, but I've never been to her grave. I just – it's a place that's too confronting for me, you know. I – grew this baby in my body. I fed her, I cuddled her, I dressed her, I changed her. And to know that that's, you know, that she was buried there, that's just, it's something I can't, I can't cope with. Um, And yeah, I think I do remind myself that, you know, to me, even though physically that's where her body is, um, I think 
yeah, the things that we sort of do. And we make sure we talk about Billy all the time, not just, you know, um, writing about her and things like that. But in our family, you know, with Aubrey, we, we try and talk about her and everything. So I kind of try and ease my guilt a little bit by reminding myself that mm. there's other things that we do yeah. um, to show how much we love her and still remember her. Yeah. And we're going to touch on some of those special things that you are doing later yeah. on in the conversation. Um, I want to go back to language. Yep. We talked a little bit about rainbow pregnancies and the way that term can mean different things to different people. What kind of language issues came up for you in this experience of Billy dying? What what are words that didn't sit well with you or, mm. or words that do feel natural in terms of talking about Billy? Yeah, that's another thing that's changed because at the start for me to say my daughter died was too too harsh. It just, I couldn't say those words. I could only bring myself to say we lost our daughter or our daughter passed away. Um, whereas now those terms don't sit as well with me, like um, passed away and lost because she's not lost, she died. And it's harsh because it was harsh and it's it's horrible. And I think um, sometimes, and you know, the more contact I have with other other bereaved parents. I think a lot of people feel the same way that we try and um, make the terms that we use around child death a lot softer when it's it's not soft. It's harsh and it's horrible and it's cruel and it's just such an awful time. And, you know, as I said at, at the start, um, I needed words like lost and passed away. And I know they're words that um, do make other people more comfortable. So, mm. and I think, you know, the language and support um, that people give to bereaved parents, it, it needs to be based on them. I don't think there's a, you know, one term suits all kind of thing or one kind of support suits all sort of thing. I think you need to go by yeah. the people and the terms that they want to use mm. and the support they say they need. Yeah. and So, so important as a support person to really check in. Yes. And and be guided by yeah. what that family, yeah. even if you don't know what you need, you know, at least giving some guidance where you have capacity to help those people help you. Yeah. Because <laughs> even, even the best intentions can be misplaced if, yeah. if we use the wrong language or, um, you know, turn up in a space where there's not actually space for yeah. you as a support person. Definitely. It's, um, it's a confusing space for people on the other side looking in, even if they it want is. to do the best thing. Yeah, I think just really being led by by the person who's, who's grieving. Um, you know, I remember catching up with a friend. It was probably quite a few months after Billy died and um, so she hadn't heard Billy's story and hadn't, you know, heard much about Billy and she said to me, so tell me about Billy. And it was such a lovely question, but on that particular day, I couldn't. I just said, I'm sorry, I'm having a really hard week. I can't talk about it right now. And she was great. You know, it was really nice that she, you know, she made it clear that she was open to talking about Billy. She wasn't trying to, um, you know, hide away from what had happened. She wasn't trying to ignore Billy. She, you know, put it out there that she wanted to know about Billy. Mm but also was really understanding when I said, I'm sorry, I just can't today. Yeah, and um, accepting of, of when you set some boundaries. Yeah.
We've talked a bit about people supporting you, Candice, um, and Davey, of course. He's a big part of the story. What what actually gives you strength, you know, early on in in the recovery from Billy's death and, and what gives you strength now? I think, um, especially at the start, it was Davey and Aubrey. You know, I I had to keep going because I still had them, you know, and I was lucky. I'm so lucky that I did have them. Um, you know, Aubrey, we had to get up every day. We had to keep going because, like I said, I didn't want her to miss out on her childhood. I still wanted her to have fun and everything. And um, she was just – she was great for me, you know, and – I think sometimes, especially in those initial days, you just think, how am I ever going to be happy or laugh again or smile again? But she gave you those reasons. She'd do funny little things. Like I remember one day um, I had a health insurance call me and say they needed um, something to do with Billy's birth date or something like that. And I said, "Um, I've already called you because my daughter actually died. And she said, oh, oh, sorry. And she got off the phone and I got off the phone in tears and Aubrey came out with a box on her head and was like, look, mum, I'm a box. (laughs) And, you know, it was like how can you not sort of smile even though these horrible things are happening and I'm having to have these horrible conversations and tell people these things but, you know, I've got this gorgeous girl who who needs her mum. And, yeah, you know, those days where it was too much and I couldn't go and be with friends, it would just be me and Aubrey. You know, I'd say to her, what do you want to do today? And she'd want to go to the park. So it'd just be me and her. And yeah, it was, um, she definitely, she definitely got me through that. Mm. And Davey, because he's just, he's been the strong one throughout all of this. And he's just kept going. And, um, you know, he always says, as long as me and the kids are okay, he's okay. So, yeah. It's quite incredible the strength people can find in these very dark moments. Mm. And you don't really have a choice. You just, you know, I remember someone writing and I read it early on and thinking that's so true that someone said, like, how how do you keep going? And she said, well, I didn't know I had a choice. And it's true. You don't sort of feel like you have a choice. You just, you wonder how you're going to do it. But, yeah, you just, you know, you have to. Now, you've gone on to start a beautiful campaign for Billy. Can you tell us a bit more about the All for Billy campaign and and where that started? Yeah, so um, really early on after Billy died, I knew that I wanted to do something. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just knew that I couldn't just leave it all. I had to, you know, I'm never going to be able to say, oh, you know, look at all the good that came from Billy's death. I'll, I'll never see it like that. But I just, it all felt so incredibly pointless. And I knew I just had to do something to, I don't know, just make something of it, just make some kind of difference. And not even just making the difference, but also making sure that Billy was always remembered, that even though her life was really short, you know, she was still incredibly important and she is still incredibly important and not just within our family, but, you know, I I hope that her story does make a huge difference. So Mm. um, as I sort of tried to think about what I wanted to do, um, I I probably still am a little bit just really angry about everything that happened. Um, 
And eventually I got to the point where I sort of thought I need to use this anger for something good. It's not good to just go around being angry all the time. I need to put all of this anger and all of this energy into something positive. So, and I think also um, at that point, as well as all the other bereaved mums that I'd come into contact with who were doing amazing things, I um, was in touch with a couple in New South Wales, Denise and Matt. Um, They lost their little boy, Julian, um, from enterovirus as well. And they had already started up um, fundraising efforts um, that it's called Joy Rides and Journeys for Julian. And, you know, they are working towards raising money um, to look into research and treatment, um, raising awareness. And also um, they've done up this fantastic car. They're going to take sick kids on um, joy rides and stuff. Yeah. So I think they really inspired me as well. You know, they'd experienced this loss a lot like closer to the time than I had and yet they were already doing these wonderful things Mm. and yeah so it sort of made me go okay and I think last year as well with COVID um, I guess I was at home a lot and yeah I just got to the point of okay it's it's been long enough I need to do something now. So the All for Billy campaign what is the fundraising goal? So, um, yeah, our goal is for $30,000 and it's through the Royal Melbourne Hospital Foundation and also with the Peter Doherty Institute for Infection and Immunity. So within the Peter Doherty Institute, they've got the National Enterovirus Reference Laboratory. Um, And so what we're wanting to do with that $30,000, Professor Bruce Thorley, he's going to be characterising enteroviruses. So trying to really get a picture of what's happening in Australia with enteroviruses, trying to work out which, because there's lots of different kinds of enteroviruses, there's different strains. Um, So really getting a clear picture of what exactly is circulating Mm. within Australia. Um, And then because at the moment there's no sort of real data and set information because, you know, there's so many things that can affect it, so many different strains. Um, so the the idea is the money raised through the All for Billy campaign will go directly into better understanding the viruses that circulate in Australia and perhaps give us more information about how to potentially prevent leading to, you know, the the loss of babies like Billy. Yeah, that's right. Um, And just, yeah, trying to, because at the moment um, they don't sort of have a good enough understanding of the enterovirus biology, so they're unable to um, get a a cure that's actually a treatment that's going to be effective all of the time because apparently it it, um, easily develops, the enteroviruses easily develop resistance to the treatments that have been trialled, so... From the get-go after Billy died, we've just kept hearing it's rare, it's rare, it's rare. Um, And, you know, as Denise and Matt, their hashtag is one is enough. And, you know, um, you can tell me that it's rare and I understand it might not be as prevalent as other things, but babies are dying from this. Uh, It's not just Billy, it's not just Julian. There are, you know, and every time I speak about this or write about this, I get more parents contacting me saying, you know, I lost my child to enterovirus or my child had enterovirus but luckily enough survived. So, you know, in the scheme of things it may be rare but it's happening to Mm. families and they're losing babies and, you know, that that, it's not okay. Yeah. It needs to change because, yeah, it's, it's horrible and it shouldn't be happening.
and through your beautiful work, hopefully, hopefully we can start to make a difference. I really hope so. Yeah, yeah definitely. I'm just looking across the table, Candice, at your beautiful All For Billy t-shirt that you have on and there's yes. some gorgeous peonies. Can you tell me about the symbol and, and what that means for you and your family? Yeah, so um, Billy was born in November and died in November and um, it was actually my psychologist that made me aware of the fact that peonies are only available in November and that sort of, yeah, straight away grabbed me and from that point I was like, well, they're Billy's flowers, peonies are Billy's flowers. So, you know, every year on in November we always have peonies in the house and, you know, people close to us know, you know, we've been given um, peony framed pictures and mm. a friend recently um, mailed me a lip gloss that was called peonies and, <laughs> yeah, so it's just it's a really special thing. So when I started up the campaign I knew that peonies really had to be be included in it and be in the logo. So, yeah, that's, that's what we've got. Oh, beautiful story. Mm-hmm. Now, as we wind up, Candice, there may be newly bereaved parents listening to this. Um, what, what advice or what, what would you say to them? I think you just need to do whatever you need to do. Don't worry about anyone else. Don't worry about feeling like you're being selfish. Um, don't feel like you have to do things. Um, you do things in your own time and... Um, you know, like I said, for me, it changes all of the time. Um, you know, there's still some things that are too much for me, like Billy's grave. Um, we also actually have, um, we've got um, little casts made up of Billy's feet. I haven't opened them. Mm. They've been there, um, I think it was when the coroner's investigation was still going on. So, you know, we've had them for a really long time. I just can't do it. I can't open it up and look at it. Um, So, yeah, I think you just have to go easy on yourself and try and make sure other people are respecting what you need Um, and just find whatever you need. Like I straight away I was on online, on social media, trying desperately to find people that gave me a bit of hope that I could say, okay, well, people have survived this, people have lost their children, their children have died um, and they're still here. You know, they're they're getting through it, they're surviving every day um, and that really helped me, mm. you know, as horrible as it is to know that there's so many people who have had babies die, um, it can be a little bit comforting because I know sometimes I kind of, you start to get into that space of why us, why did this happen to us, you know, what... <laughs> why did it happen to our family? Why our daughter? And to just be able to sort of step back and go, no, hang on, this hasn't just happened to us. You know, there's there's a lot of people, there's too many people that do understand this mm. and have been through this. Yeah. And yeah, that sometimes can help me. Knowing you're, you're not alone yeah. in, in the struggle. Yep. Well, wherever your little Billy is, I'm sure she's looking down at you and seeing how courageous you are and how articulate you are and it's it's a very generous gift you're sharing with our show today to tell us Billy's story from your perspective and we wish you all the best with your fundraising efforts and we will stay in touch. Thank you and thank you for helping raise the awareness and sharing Billy's story, getting it out there and, yeah, just and hopefully it does help some people too. Yeah, our pleasure. Thank you. See ya. Bye. 
Wow, what an incredible story Candice shared with us. It is so moving. It it brought me to tears um, Mm. at various points along the way as she told her story. It's, as you said at the start, it's as mums and it's your absolute worst nightmare and you truly cannot imagine what Candice and her family went through. And to be able to come and share that story and to turn such a tragedy into hope through the appeal that she started is incredibly admirable and inspiring and it's it shows an amazing strength of character mm. that Candace has. Yeah, I totally agree with you. There was so much to come out of the story mm. in terms of learning. Uh, was there something that particularly stuck struck with you? Yeah, I mean, so many things that Candace said really really stuck with me. It's her insight into what she went through is incredible. I think I really I really enjoyed the way she explained the language around the loss of her baby and how for her that evolved over time. Um, she talked about initially that soft language was important um, when Billy passed at the start. And then as that evolved over time, she she changed the way she approached that language. And she also recognised that that's not, that's not clear cut for everyone. And mm-hmm. everyone deals with these things differently and at a different pace. And that's, that's something I'll take on board. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that stuck out for me was her reflection that with her subsequent pregnancy after Billy with the twins, that there really was no safe time to Mm. announce um, the pregnancy. Yes. And that sort of um, false narrative about, you know, once you get to the 12 weeks, it's safe, or once Mm. you get to the 20-week scan, it's safe. And I also found it really interesting uh, the way she reflects on her rainbow pregnancy with the twins mm. and her journey into parenting them, it not being a straight road and perhaps the expectations that after a loss, a subsequent pregnancy, um, albeit twins, mm. would somehow replace that loss or or make it easier. But in Candice's case, she really found it challenging and I really appreciated her honesty about that. Absolutely. Yeah, she explained that beautifully that a rainbow pregnancy implies all light and colour and happiness, but of course it's not all smooth sailing and it's not a case of replacing the baby that you've lost. What a what a brave woman to, to mm. go through what she did and be able to share it with us. I think there's a, a lot of people who really gain something from hearing this story. Absolutely. And if you've been touched by Candace's story of her Billy, and would like to contribute, if you look up the Awful Billy Appeal, you can make a donation there to support the research into enterovirus. Cara, if people have been affected by today's episode, what are some of the resources they can tap into? Absolutely. So SANS is a a great resource um, that's available online, um, which stands for Stillbirth and Newborn Death Support. There's Bears of Hope um, that you can Google as well and will come up. And of course, Panda is a a brilliant resource um, for women and their families going through an event such as this. That's it for today. If you got something out of this episode, please remember to subscribe, rate and review our podcast. 
Also, we love hearing from you. If you have feedback or suggestions, email us at pregnancy.uncut at gmail.com or you can find us at pregnancyuncut.com or on Instagram. If you or someone you know wants to share their story with us, we'd love to hear from you. Talk soon.